You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Good to see everyone out tonight. Um, a, few, a few less things tonight than there were this morning, so all of a sudden, I'm here. And uh, we're going to talk about a thing called persecution today, uh, something that may well be more on the agenda of our lives than it has been up until now. But um, let's have a look at the Word of God, what it says. We're going to look at the um, Sermon on the Mount. It's a little um, portion of the New Testament found in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. And it's Jesus really teaching on a whole lot of things. But one of the things that he does teach on is persecution. And as I uh, looked at this subject of persecution over this week, I discovered that Jesus in Matthew had a lot to say about it more than, I, than I'd realized. And um, so we'll have a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through to 12, if you have your Bibles. And perhaps it's up, is it? It will be. Matthew 5, verse 10. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. In case you didn't know, today is known as the International Days of Prayers for the Persecuted Church. And uh, it's the 20th anniversary today of this movement that is growing more and more around the world. It started really in 1994, and those mathematicians amongst us will say, well, that's 22 years. But it didn't really start as prayer for the persecuted churches of the world. It started for the persecuted church in Iran in 1994. And um, after the folks who had started it saw the wonderful uh, success of the whole thing, they decided to expand it out to praying for the whole persecuted church in the world. And one of their mottos is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. It's the whole portion of scripture about the body of, of Christ. And it says there, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And really and truly, if someone is suffering for Jesus in, say, uh, Eritrea, we should be suffering in a sense with them because we know that part of our body is in trouble. And today, with so much of um, uh, so much news on the internet and things like that, we're not ignorant of what's going on, but we might not be able to feel it uh, like they do. So we're, this has been going for 20 years. And um, just by the way, God has been doing many millions of miracles in Iran. Um, some of you are not old enough to remember the Shah of Iran and the rise to power of Ayatollah Khomeini in 1981. But I remember it all happening before my eyes um, as a boy. And uh, this uh, radical Shia cleric came from France where he had been exiled. He went into Iran, caused a great rebellion, which he had been fomenting from Paris for years before that. And they kicked out the Shah who had been a pro-Western sympathizer, and um, there was a great persecution of the church. At that time, there were reckoned to be 500 Muslim background believers in Iran. But um, today, 
uh, it's another story altogether. Ever since the movement to pray for Iran began, the church has now become the fastest growing church in the entire world. Some people reckon there are between two and six million believers in Iran. I cannot verify that. That's just coming from people who work very closely on the ground. More conservative figures would be around um, half a million to one million. But God knows, and that's the wonderful thing. Um, is there a picture up there? Yeah, look at that. Imagine that happening in Eltham swimming pool. That's just a small baptismal service in Iran. That is absolutely amazing. If that were happening anywhere in the face of the earth, there would be rejoicing. I think it's absolutely amazing. But that doesn't mean things, ha persecution has stopped in Iran. No, it hasn't. It's still going on. People are in prison and people are suffering for their faith and even dying for their faith there. And of course, if I said that um, China, North Korea and Saudi Arabia were persecutors of the church, you would already know that, I'm sure. Just in the last number of months in China, there's been a great movement to remove crosses off all the churches. If you go on YouTube, you can see cranes taking down the crosses. And uh, the, the Chinese government in certain places seems to see this as a great offense. And uh, they come against the symbols of Christianity and the people. Then, of course, there's Afghanistan, there's Eritrea, Sudan, Uzbekistan, and many more uh, countries where believers are being persecuted. But if I were just to uh, mention the uh, known persecutors and the traditional persecutors, that would not be the whole story anymore. Because persecution is like a windborne fungus that travels across borders, um, a destructive fungus. A few years ago, I was talking to John Anderson, who used to be the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. And uh, he was, um, he's a farmer. And he was telling me about the threat of a thing called rust. And if you're a wheat farmer, you don't want rust in your crop. You thought cars were the only thing rusted? No, wheat can rust as well. But it was coming from South Africa across the Indian Ocean, they thought, in the form of spores to infect the crop here. But persecution has come like that to Australia in many ways and to most Western lands. And so today, without diminishing um, our concern for the persecuted church in the traditional areas, I wanted to just change the emphasis today to think a little bit about persecution of the believers in Christ in the Western English-speaking um, democracies, especially Australia and Northern Ireland. And um, we'll just um, want to mention one thing that is a, a demonstration of this persecution. Within the last week in the Victorian Parliament, if you've been listening to the local news, you may have heard, or reading the papers, you may have heard that they were debating uh, a motion that had to do with uh, prohibiting Christian institutions, namely schools and churches, from employing Christian-only staff for uh, jobs that they say are not religious. So, for instance, a math teacher in a Christian school would no longer need to be a Christian. It could be anybody at all. And so they wanted to make it uh, against the law to make uh, being a Christian a criteria, criterion for joining a Christian school. Or, for instance, in our own church, for in, we could um, we may need a bookkeeper, as we do, and um, we could have to um, employ someone who was an outright atheist if they came and were best qualified. So that's the sort of thing that's being debated right now in the Victorian Parliament, and I ask you to pray that the vote will go against that and that we will be able to continue to employ 
um, people who believe in the cause. You're not going to get the Labour Party of Australia employing um, somebody like Jeff Kennett to do their books, are you? Or somebody like um, uh, one of the leading liberal politicians. He wouldn't want to, but they would say, no, you're not suitable. And uh, they are playing one rule for themselves and one rule for Christians. So that's what's happening in our own area, which is a symbol of the persecution which is rising. Tolerance of Christians in Western society today has become less and less. Uh, it used to be that uh, Western society was pretty much Christian through and through, but obviously that's not the case anymore. And not only are our beliefs being discriminated against, which is okay, in a democracy, we have to allow for the discrimination uh, against beliefs. So, um, for instance, let me think of one, um, uh, one that I could say. It's, it's drawn a blank, uh, I've drawn a blank. But anyway, um, it won't come to me. It's, yes, I've got it now. Back in Northern Ireland, there was a court case very, very recently where um, Christian Bakery, um, they bake a lot of cakes, birthday cakes, things like that, celebration cakes. And uh, people, um, they've got special machines for printing icing on cakes. And uh, a gay activist came along to the Christian Bakery and said, we want you to bake us a cake. Okay, fair enough. But we want you to put this slogan on it, support gay marriage. There was a picture of Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street and underneath it, support gay marriage, or we support gay marriage, right? So um, Daniel MacArthur, who was um, the uh, proprietor, said, no, I'm not doing that. He was taken to court, and he was found guilty of discriminating against uh, a person. But what did he discriminate against? He discriminated against an idea, which he didn't agree with. He lost, so now he, and every other baker, every other printer is obliged to print things that they are diametrically opposed to. And that's in Northern Ireland, in the UK. Thank God there is a Supreme Court to which they probably will appeal. And uh, hopefully they will see sense and realize that we cannot, in a democracy, be allowed to discriminate against ideas. You have to hammer them out. You have to let the truth rise up to the top. Because if you discriminate against the idea, then free speech is gone. And that is, that is what is happening in many Western civilizations, and that is why there's such a rebellion against it in the form of Brexit and in the form of Donald Trump becoming pre president of the United States. What you see there is a rebellion against this uh, loony uh, fringe that are trying to take away our free speech uh, and things like that. So what we see is that our societies in the West are moving away from democracy, which isn't a perfect system, to just add a letter, a democracy. And uh, you may say, what in the world is that? Well, it's a, a country that's ruled by demon demonically inspired people. If people can be under the influence of demons, and there's enough of them come together and they form a government, then that government will be under the influence of demonic powers. And uh, I believe that you can see, for instance, uh, already in the tw last 20th century, you can see many regimes which were democracies. I think of the uh, Nazi regime in Germany, the Third Reich. I think of Pol Pot. I think of Stalin. Um, 
I think of um, that dictator in the Congo whose name escapes me right now. But there have been many, many regimes in the world that have been democracies. And uh, it seems to me that in our society today in the West, we're moving towards that. Um, doesn't mean to say we'll get there entirely. I hope not. It's not fatalistic to say. Uh, I'm not saying anything fatalistically, rather. I'm saying these things so that we pray, and that we stand up for our, uh, what is right, that we don't cower away. There's still a place for standing up and speaking the truth. And then someone will say, well, how is it possible that um, demons can rule over a nation or, or a group of nations if God is sovereign over all the universe? Well, is God sovereign over all the universe? Yes, he absolutely is. Let me hear a, an amen for that. <laughs> absolutely. You know, what happens is um, there is another entity in this world, and his name is Satan. And he is described in three ways in the Bible by Jesus and by Paul. The first one says he's a god. The second one says he's a ruler. And the third one says he's a prince. So let's look at them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So if you look at that text in your English Bible, the God will not be with a large G in the first incidence, which is really good. It's a little God, a Godette, and that's the devil. A Godette. Well, that's quite a nice insult to him. Um, yeah, we're not to slander celestial beings, but um, that's what he is in the light of our great God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is a little God who has been given a certain amount of authority, but he's outgunned. And then, of course, um, he's a prince or a ruler. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Paul is speaking again, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So it seems to me that he has some power in some dimension called the air, up there somewhere as well. And Jesus calls him a prince as well. And also I see it's with a small p. Jesus said in John 12 verse 30, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And what Jesus started to do, in other words, drive Satan out, he will finish. Satan is on his way out. Are you glad about that? He's on his way out, but he hasn't left the building yet. He's still hanging around. Um, hopefully he'll go soon. But the scripture tells us something um, quite solemn, and that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It tells us that we will all suffer persecution if we want to live a godly life. We will all suffer persecution if we want to live a godly life. So if you thought you could escape it by be becoming a Christian, uh, it's not true. There's another thing coming. And um, here it says in this verse, 2 Timothy 3, 12, Paul says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, 
because you know from the, uh, know those from whom you learned it. For some time now, this verse, sometime in the past, this verse troubled me because I looked at my own life and I, I thought to myself, you know, you say you're a believer, but you're not being persecuted that much, really. Ah, somebody's called you a name here and there. Some people called you Holy Joe for going to church on Sunday, things like that. But that's not really that hurtful, is it? You could wear that. So if you say you're a Christian, why are you not being persecuted? So this is what I think about that now. You know, besides our lives taking a long time to play out, you know, 70, 80, 90 years, hopefully, um, there's another thing at play. We have lived up until this point, probably, um, in a society which has been founded upon Christian principles. And in a society that has largely been founded upon Christian principles, you're not going to be overly persecuted for believing in those principles. Now, that's beginning to be eroded and very markedly. I grew up particularly in a society in Northern Ireland which, in which the most of the people were formed by Christian doctrine. So that would be one major reason why I wasn't being persecuted too much. And so that helped me to understand what was happening. But you know, the more we knuckle down to becoming followers of Jesus Christ in this present day and age and in this present location, we are going to suffer for it. We're going to be ostracized. We're going to be laughed at. Um, we might even be thumped or hit at times. And we have to be ready for that. We have to prepare ourselves for that. I told you just uh, a while ago about the, the case in Northern Ireland uh, of the, uh, the Asher's Bakery. They call their baker Ash, bakery Asher's Bakery after the tribe of Asher in the Old Testament that were renowned for their cakes and, and uh, sweetmeats. And uh, if you go on YouTube and you look up the Christian Institute uh, from the UK and you find out about um, the Asher's Bakery, you will hear a young couple standing up for Jesus in such a beautiful, God-honoring and tolerant way. It would do your heart good to watch them defending the, the things of God. They're called Daniel, it's called Daniel MacArthur and his wife. I can't remember her name. Anyway, that's Northern Ireland, but what about Australia? Recently, the Bible Society reported that two groups of Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students here in this country were given a probationary period by the universities. Um, in other words, they've been put on notice that if they continue a certain belief, they'll be in trouble, i.e. kicked off the premises. That's here in Australia. And AFES, if I know them, they'll stick to their guns. They're not going to move for anybody. That means they might have to go down the road and meet outside the university, but they're not going to shift. I know that. So then, who is our real enemy? Ephesians 6, verse 12. Listen to this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, Scripture clearly tells us that, as believers, we don't have enemies who look like us, who have got four limbs and a head, and walk about, speak. Our enemies are not human. They are non-human beings. 
Now, in certain circles, if I were to talk about non-human beings, they would say, you're nuts. But increasingly, in our society, people of all shades and all colors are accepting that there are other beings in this universe other than ourselves. And I'm talking about demonic beings here. They are our real enemy. And of course, Satan is their leader. They hate us because we look like God. We're not God, but we look like him. The Bible tells us that we were made in his image. And uh, Stuart touched on that a few weeks ago when he spoke to us about the imago dei. Im imago dei, the image of God. And um, they're exceedingly jealous of us. And they want to destroy us. They don't only want to destroy Christians. They want to destroy unbelievers as well. And some people are coming to Jesus today because the demons that are living in them have scared the life out of them. And they want rid of them. And uh, they're coming to Jesus because they now know there is a, a, a being out there who is looking after their well-being, who's not deceiving them, who wants to save them and come into their lives. But the only reason that we're not destroyed is because the one who looks after us is more powerful than that evil entity who's trying to destroy us. And not only is the Lord more powerful, but he has given us guardian angels. Who believes in guardian angels? Don't be afraid to put your hand up because Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to help those who will inherit salvation? What a wonderful, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. So to any one of us, there could be assigned multiple angels who will, in conjunction with their Lord and Savior, well, Jesus didn't save the angels, they didn't need saving. In conjunction with their Lord, they are protecting us. I remember one night in the streets of Bangor and County Down, that was where Andrea and I lived with our family before we came here. Um, we were out in the street and um, witnessing, helping clubbers when they were legless or throwing up, seeking to be Jesus to them. Um, one little fella, I say little, he must have been about five foot nothing. He came up to me and he said, I'm going to speak another language here. He says, when we get in the par, I'm going to line you up against the wall and shoot you. So I'll interpret that. He said, when we come into power, I will line you up against the wall and I will shoot you. I don't know if he drink taken or not, but he was quite vicious. And uh, who was he referring to as the we? Well, he was referring to his fellow ideologists who couldn't stand God or couldn't stand his followers. And who were the you who were going to get shot? Well, we are the Christians. Now, does that mean that he is my enemy now because he said that? Well, maybe from his point of view, but from our point of view, from my point of view, as a Christian, he's not my enemy. What is he then? Oh, he's just the mouthpiece of the enemy. And in the devil's eyes, he's a little expendable minion, pawn, but in God's eyes, he's the object of his love. Even though he's spouting off and trying to um, shake his fist at God, God still loves him. And so should we, even though there are people out there who would say such things. Remember, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So... 
what do we do? Even though the mouthpieces of Satan are raging against us, what do we do? John chapter 15, verse 20 says, Remember the words I spoke to you. It was Jesus speaking. He said, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, they did persecute Jesus to death. We often say Stephen was the first martyr, but to be truthful, um, Jesus was. Jesus was the first Christian martyr. And uh, he came under severe persecution, the worst kind of persecution. Perhaps you've watched the film The Passion of Christ. That is a very hard film to watch. But he did it all for me, and he did it for you. And he didn't run away. He didn't seek a way out. Well, he asked for a way out, but knowing that there was none, he went all the way. Now, we did say persecution is coming to a place near you soon. But you know what else is coming to a place near you if that persecution should come? Persecution born blessing is coming to a place near you. Let's have a look at this text again in Matthew 5. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this comes from the Beatitudes a little portion of Matthew chapter 5 where over and over again Jesus said, blessed are such and such a, a group of people. And as I looked at that portion of scripture, I saw that Jesus talked more about persecution in that portion of scripture than any other topic. He actually mentioned it three times. So it must be very important. But the word that comes most often is blessed. So what does blessed mean? Well, um, it means supreme happiness. That's one thing that it means. The message says in verse 10, um, the message is a translation of the Bible, by the way, by Eugene Peterson. It says in verse 10, you are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. How does that sound? Does that sound right or does that sound upside down? <laughs> We are, as Christians, in an upside-down kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Where the persecuted are blessed. Where the poor in spirit are blessed rather than the, um, the, pride, the proud. The kingdom of God is upside-down. So I'll read this verse again in the message, but I'll read it all. It says, You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. And this is the blessing. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And that's what persecution does. It drives us deeper into God's kingdom. And this ultimate happiness, which God promises us, will be paid out at the end of it all. So let's just have a look at the text. Who is blessed? In this text, who is blessed? It, it lists three kinds of people who are blessed. The persecuted are blessed. The falsely accused are blessed, and the insulted for the sake of Jesus are blessed. 
And note clearly that it says, because of me. Jesus said, those who are persecuted because of me, those who are insulted because of me, those who are falsely accused because of me, are blessed. Supreme happiness. Have any of these things happened to you recently? Have you taken a blow for Jesus recently in any of these ways? If you have, know that you're blessed. Isn't that wonderful? You might not feel it now or at the time, but ultimately you will be blessed. Maybe it's been in school or in your family. Sometimes families are the hardest place to live out for Jesus because your close relatives sometimes don't mind what they say to you. They sometimes let fly with their tongue, knowing that there'll be little or no consequence. If you've done that for Jesus, if you have received that for Jesus, rather, know that you're blessed. But why are they blessed? Matthew chapter 24 gives us a hint as to why they're blessed. I believe it's because they withstand the onslaught, or we withstand the onslaught of the insults of the persecution. I don't think we'll be blessed if we cave in, if we um, submit to those persecutions and uh, change sides. We'll not be blessed. They are blessed because they don't flinch. Matthew 24 verse 9 says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. But he or she who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so it's in standing firm to the end that we will be saved and that we will be blessed, that we will have that ultimate happiness. You know, one of the saddest things about this case that I mentioned in Northern Ireland, one of the saddest things for me is that one of the lecturers who was there in the college with me is the one who's championing the case against the Christians. That is, that is shocking, really sad. And in this day and age, quite a few prominent Christians are changing sides on a lot of matters which God has finally spoken on and will not change. Don't join them. It's a foolish way to go. Stick to what God has said, and there will be supreme happiness for you ultimately, even if it means persecution. So the Bible says uh, they are blessed. With what shall they be blessed? Or with what shall we be blessed if we stand firm? It says here, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it also says, there is great reward in heaven. Two things, but it probably means the same thing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and there will be great reward in heaven for the one who stands firm under persecution. True happiness is not determined by our present circumstances, but it is rather determined by the true promises of God, which will be paid out later on. So what should our reaction to persecution be? Well, I'll, I'll give one um, which I don't think is right. You know the way uh, Islamic jihadists say, oh, right, let's, let's do a suicide mission so that we will um, go to heaven? Well, I think the Christian who takes persecution like a suicide mission is uh, deluded. Um, we are not to run into persecution or run into trouble. Uh, by doing that, we're not thinking about anybody else, really. Um, yes, we might be thinking about glory for Jesus, but actually, what about... Um, those people who depend upon us, our family and everybody else, 
Should we rush into persecution, rush into death uh, unthinkingly and put them into trouble? No. And, and the Bible does not encourage us to do that. It would, ra it would rather send us to um, another place if that type of persecution came along. Jesus said, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And I think he's thinking there more about, you know, the type of persecution that would kill you or greatly injure you. There are persecutions from which we should not run, and they would be verbal persecutions. Even uh, physical beatings at times is something that we maybe shouldn't run from. Stand up for Jesus. A lot of us are on Facebook and social media. You will note that there are a lot of things being said on social media. Don't ever be afraid to stand up for Jesus. And once again, I say don't court controversy, but tactfully and lovingly stand up for the truth. You'll find out who your real friends are then. Um, I, I made a commitment to myself that um, I would, when it was right, state the truth on Facebook. Why did I do that? Well, I was afraid that if I wouldn't do it on Facebook, I wouldn't do it when it comes to the crunch. I'm building myself up for the day when I really have to do it. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid on Facebook. And then perhaps you won't be afraid when somebody's putting a gun down your throat. As could happen. So there's a time to run and there's a time not to run. May the Lord give us wisdom to know which is which. Think of those dear Christians who have come to Australia from Iraq and Syria, some of them even moving to Eltham in the days that come. They ran, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. I'd probably do the same. And Jesus encouraged us to run away from that kind of danger at times. Then maybe there is not the opportunity to run away. Maybe you're cornered, and the only thing is left to face the music. And we're encouraged to bear it with patience. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, um, Peter says, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So that's our reaction to persecution. But it's not finished there. What does the scripture say in verse 12 regarding persecution? It says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Imagine rejoicing and being glad about being maltreated, about being insulted and persecuted and maybe even beaten. Imagine rejoicing and be glad. Can anybody think of a, a couple of people who did that in the New Testament after a, a beating? Well, Paul and Silas in uh, Acts chapter 16. When they were beaten in Philippi, they sang all night until the earthquake came and they were set free. They were certainly following the words of Jesus, rejoice and be glad. Perhaps they already had the teaching of Jesus, that very teaching. And they were saying, the master said, rejoice and be glad, so let's rejoice and be glad. 
and they were singing hymns to God. Now, in, we'd alluded to it earlier, but in this whole um, idea of persecution of the believers, there are two battlefronts. There's one battlefront that is seen and another battlefront that is not seen. And the battle, we call them battlefront A and battlefront B. Battlefront A is that dimension, that realm that we cannot see in the heavens where there's a war going on. The forces of the Lord Jesus Christ against the forces of evil and darkness. And then there's battlefront B and it's played out before us in our lives. The main battlefront is not the one we see. It's the one we don't see. And we have been shown this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 5, among other passages, where it says, when the, kingdom of the, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. And so we have a wonderful insight into the battlefront A there that is going on. And the promise that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. What a wonderful sight. When we, when we realize that maybe in this state of Victoria we're in a minority, in battlefront B, in battlefront A, there's a majority. And not only a majority, but a stronger, uh, better equipped uh, group of people or group of beings fighting for us and fighting for the Lamb. So one of the, th the dangers that we could have as people who are becoming increasingly persecuted is that we could adopt a victim mentality. Have you heard of a victim mentality? It's uh, a mentality that goes around saying that this one's against me, that one's against me, despite the evidence. It could be a kind of a paranoia. You know, uh, we, we, we mustn't adopt that victim mentality because that's an identity. I am a victim. We're actually not victims. We are children of the Lord Most High. That's our identity. We are soldiers of the cross. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not victims. We must not adopt that. And so don't, let's not give up fighting for the truth. I've heard of Christians saying this uh, regarding evil legislation that's coming in. They've said things like, ah, it's inevitable. It's coming, you know. No, it's not inevitable. Let's get it into our hearts and minds that these things are not inevitable. Never resign ourselves to evil um, inevitability. Because then we're beaten already, aren't we? If the Australian Christian lobby said it's coming, they'd go home, they'd pack up. But no, they fight and they fight in the, lobby, in the lobbies of the Houses of Parliament. They write letters, they raise money, and they are, um, among other groups, actually making a difference. Let's not give up to evil inevitability. Let's give in, uh, give in to Jesus and what he says. Matthew chapter 10, 32 says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him or her before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me 
Before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Let's not give up the fight for truth because giving up the fight for truth is almost tantamount to giving up on Jesus. Let's not be afraid to stand up. And remember that our weapons are not worldly. They're not um, Kalashnikovs. They're not grenades. They're not roadside bombs. Our weapons are spiritual. They're prayer. They're the word of God. They're good deeds. And other powerful things like that. And with those weapons, we outgun the enemy. But you know, what is the point in having a superior armory if we don't know how to use it? So we need to learn how to use the weaponry that we've been given. And that's why in this fellowship we have extra training events on Wednesday nights, 4.12. Come along and get what you call educated in the things of God. Grab as much of that stuff as you really can and then go out and use it so that there'll be an overflow from this place to many places in Victoria and Australia, all around the world. I was just um, hearing today that the town of Cobram, which is up in the north of Victoria, uh, has very little evangelical witness. As a town of 5,000 people. It's not as big as Eltham, but still, it's a sizable town or village. And there isn't a, a really good witness up there. And I thought, wow, what do we got here? Perhaps maybe one day we'll send someone up there to plant a church or to um, make disciples. So we'll soon finish off. Um, but I want to finish with a little word for some of you who may be fearful about what happened in the political arena this week, particularly in the United States, um, because what happens there affects every being on the face of the planet, every human being. And um, I want to do that. I want to bring a word of comfort by asking a few questions. Has this election in the United States frightened God by any chance? Has, has God been frightened by the outcome? No, of course not. Who said that? Uh, well done, Ross. Absolutely right. God has not been frightened by the outcome of the election. And he wouldn't have been frightened by the other outcome either. Another question. Has God somehow lost ground here in the United States? No, absolutely not. Good, a good no, good strong no coming from the male section there. Good. Next question. Has God appointed Donald Trump or did he get in there in spite of God's best efforts? <laughs> Pardon? God ordained. That's right. God appointed. The powers that be are ordained of God. You know the way um, in, in society today, many, many people use biblical phrases and they don't know it. One of the phrases that they use is the powers that be, without knowing that that comes from Romans chapter 13. The powers that be, all authorities, are ordained by God. And one, one last question. Will Donald Trump fulfill part of God's universal plan? Yes, yes of course he will, yes. Absolutely. Um, so, with the answers to those questions, I hope that you can relax and know that God is still sovereign. Nothing has changed about God since the 8th of November. He's still in the control. Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, they're not your enemy. Do you remember that? 
They're not your enemy. Um, your real enemy is someone else. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, your real enemy, the devil, is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But we need to be ready. May we all be ready for that persecution when it comes. And uh, don't think it's strange when it does come. Just be ready. Let's all be ready together. Let's all stand together and help each other. And we'll get through. God bless you. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.